Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Secretary of State's office. The congressional primary election is June 5th. Make plans to cast your ballot and visit yallvote.sos.ms.gov for more information. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, May 23rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a new report says women in Mississippi are too often pushed into low-wage jobs. Find out what some are trying to do about it. Then another reason to quit smoking and tobacco use. It's the story of a former smoker you don't want to miss. I think it's probably easy because it seems perhaps like an extreme, but if you smoke, it absolutely can happen to you. As Sharon stated, she never thought this would happen to her, and I'm sure if her younger self could see herself now, I know she would quit. And could a move by the State Board of Education solve the math teacher shortage? Why some are saying no way. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Employment equity is essential to creating economic prosperity for Mississippians. That's according to a joint report by the Mississippi Low-Income Child Care Initiative and the research firm PolicyLink. They say one of the keys is better jobs for women. The report is called Boosting Economic Growth in Mississippi Through Employment Equity. Alexandra Bastian is with PolicyLink. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier more about the research. We've been doing this work in five states, uh, Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, Georgia, and North Carolina, and we've found across the region a lot of similarities in terms of uh, low-income workers of color being disproportionately left out of the market, especially women, especially single mothers. Um, And we're trying to raise this issue because what ends up happening is that you have billions of dollars in economic activity that is just left on the table. Um, By not having those folks in the labor market, you're losing out on all of their productivity. Um, And so we are saying that this is important not just for the South, it's important for the country. It's important for our conversations about the future of work um, because what we don't want to see is increases in in, um, the numbers of folks left out. So in Mississippi in particular, there are about 600,000 households that are economically insecure. Um, when you say that, what do you mean? We, we mean that um, they are earning less than $41,000 for a family of three. Um, that's a lot. <laughs> um, it's a large portion of the state's population. And um, that is leaves the economy of Mississippi in a precarious situation. And what we know, we saw when the Great Recession happened, right? We saw how communities were devastated, people's... Um, savings, all of their, their their homes, all of that was lost in the recession. And um, we're trying to prevent that being from being the same trend in the future, right? When we have economic booms and busts, we don't want to just continuously keep 
in other words, pulling the rug out from low-income folks who are already uh, economically insecure. These studies outline problems. They outline Mm -hmm. the issues. But how do we get to a place where Mississippi is uh, up to par Mm -hmm. with northern uh, states and and states out west Mm -hmm. that are able to offer people more? I'm not sure if it's necessarily about being up to par with northern states or states out west because those states are all different. They all have different needs. They have different sized populations. But I do think the the way you get to solutions that will work with Mississippi is that you hear, you do what we did, listen to the people who are explaining the challenges that they face, right? If uh, we had an example in one of our focus groups about a bus line, there was that there was all this uh, media attention about a bus line that was going to be put in Biloxi and the actual bus station was built, but there was no bus line. And that that sounds silly, right? That sounds very silly, but that's the reality of what people are facing, right? Um, And so policymakers need to come together and hear the voice of people and be willing to make the investments that are needed so that people can thrive. What does it take in terms of buy-in to get people on the same page, uh, political leaders, community leaders, industry? I think what it takes is everyone coming to the table with the same set of information. That is a reason to have reports, right? We're not writing reports just to have reports. We need for everyone to come to the table and at least have the same baseline of information and data so that they can make decisions that are going to be the most impactful for the people who need it the most. PolicyLink Associate Alexandra Bastian. Julie Kuklinski is with the Gulf Coast-based program Women in Construction. She tells about the difficult, difficult reality of women seeking higher wage jobs and tells our Desiree Fraser what her program is doing about it. So we provide general industry construction training so women get into higher wage careers, but there's, it's a short-term training that's eight weeks long that allows a woman to be able to go for a minimum wage to oftentimes making $20 an hour. And so one of the key components in our job training is to provide childcare services as well, which is a huge work support that allows a woman to get into these higher occupations, higher wage occupations. Well, who, who provides the job care? Um, the child care. So who provides that? We have, um, we were very fortunate to secure a Department of Labor grant and also funds from the Mississippi Department of Human Services to provide child care for our participants when they're enrolled in the program uh, for a duration of job search and also during employment. So women having that burden the health is underwritten by blue- gives them a great amount of support to participate in the labor workforce. How long has this program uh, been around and uh, how overall, how many women can you help? So uh, Moore Community House has been around for over 90 years, but the Women in Construction program has been around for 10 plus years. And we have served over 450 women since we began. And before we got this Department of Labor grant, um, we were able to serve 60 a year, and now we're serving about 180 a year and predominantly focused on low-income single mothers. What do they learn that they can take to a contractor and say, I can do this job? They learn the skills, of course, but the biggest thing is having confidence to compete in a very male-dominated industry. And so a lot of it is having support of other women, um, having a group of women who are working together to chip away into this industry. And so having that support and sisterhood is 
a huge, huge help in getting women in those industries because it is very intimidating and it's a very difficult industry to get into. But having that support of the program and of, um, from one another is really helpful. In terms of long-term gains, are you seeing that they're able to, to uh, stay in the field and uh, progress and move up? So especially with apprenticeship, we see a lot of women go into that industry making about $20 an hour. And so that um, there's specific measurable gains that they can have and within three to five years can become journey level uh, employees of the company. And that really gives them great benefits, good pay, a lot of job security and apprenticeship. Julie Kuklinski of Women in Construction speaking with MPB's Desiree Frazier. Coming up, another reason to quit smoking and tobacco use. It's the story of a former smoker you don't want to miss. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm an artist. I like to paint. I'm a chef. I like to cook. I like to eat. Join Robert St. John and Wyatt Waters this season in beautiful Tuscany. Next time on the season finale, Wyatt paints in the countryside as Robert encounters a mad butcher. The food, the culture, the art. It's a great place. We went over there and we fell in love with it. And we love sharing it with other people. Join us for Palette to Palette with Robert St. John and Wyatt Waters, Thursday at 730 on MPB. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi has one of the highest smoking rates in the country. That's according to data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. While smoking prevalence has decreased since the 1960s, tobacco use has declined more slowly in some areas. More than 22 percent of Mississippians are smokers, compared to just over 15 percent nationally. And many Mississippians still find themselves exposed to secondhand smoke. Amy Winter is director of the Office of Tobacco Control at the State Department of Health. She's working with Sharon, who only wants to use her first name. Sharon is a CDC tips from former smokers, campaign participant. The two women join us to talk about how more Mississippians can quit. The smoking prevalence in Mississippi is about 22.7, so it's fairly high. We're either fourth or fifth the highest in the nation. Why? We have a lot of lower socioeconomic status populations, and those tend to use substances more, and including tobacco products. Which is interesting because tobacco costs money. I mean, it's an extra that a lot of people can't afford. Well, I think it's important to remember when people use tobacco, it's sort of self, self-soothing. self They're trying to self-medicate. And nicotine is the substance that is addictive. And so, you know, the majority of smokers want to quit. Over 70% of smokers want to quit. But it's the addiction to the nicotine that's hard to quit. Does the rate of smoking in Mississippi continue to climb or has it declined? You know, it's come down just a little bit, and I would attribute that to a lot of the work that my office is doing, as well as our stakeholders in educating people about not only the dangers of using tobacco, but also secondhand smoke exposure. And I think more and more, you know, we've got over 140 smoke-free ordinances in Mississippi A smoke-free law would protect everyone, but since we don't have a smoke-free law in the state, we go community by community because we're really trying to protect not only the smokers, but those that don't smoke. I want to turn to Sharon now uh, because you can tell your story. You're going to be speaking with a device. What is that called? It's called an electrolarynx. An electrolarynx. You have had your larynx removed as a result of smoking and cancer? Yes, I am. When did you start smoking and how long did you smoke before your diagnosis? Um, I started smoking at 13. Um, smoked for 25 years. 
Um, I was diagnosed at 37 with uh, throat cancer. At age 37, what stage were you diagnosed? Uh, four. Stage 4. Stage 4. Yes, yes. Can I ask how old you are now? I'm 59. 59. So yeah. that's actually a good... If you were diagnosed, then you've been alive for more than yeah. 20 years past your diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. So you've had that device for how long? Uh, since I had the surgery in 1999. Now, I can hear a little bit of wheezing coming through. Oh, yeah. Does not having your larynx affect your breathing? Oh, yeah. I can't walk like real far. I get tired out um, because, like, right now I don't have nothing covering it. But um, when I'm out and about, I have to, like, keep it covered, and that restricts, you know, because all my breathing is through this. And you might get particles in there, too? yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I have to watch, like... Like water, like when I'm taking a shower, I can't swim. Starting smoking at 13, I'm sure you knew none of the risks. Right. As you grew older, you must have gotten some of the risks. Oh, yeah. But you were too addicted. I was too addicted, yeah. The first thing I thought of in the morning was smoke my cigarette. That was it. You know, that was my my life. Did you ever try to quit? A few times, yeah, with stupid little devices that would, like, be what you would try, you know, tell you what to have a cigarette. But that didn't work. Did you continue smoking after you were diagnosed? Although, um, the day they told me to go in for a biopsy, I smoked my last cigarette. That's when they said it was cancerous, and I never smoked again. And you never smoked again? You never had the desire to smoke again? No, and I was smoking four minutes a day right before I quit. So, so, Amy, that speaks to the fact that someone can quit. Oh, I mean, yeah. if, if there's your motivation. I mean, that, that people, you know, because you know people say, I can't quit, I can't quit. People can quit. We have resources. Uh, 1-800-QUIT-NOW is the Mississippi Tobacco Quit Line or quitlinems.com. And folks that are wanting to quit or get some advice on quitting, they can talk to a substance abuse specialist and also get some nicotine replacement therapy. And that will enable them to be more successful. I think a lot of times people try to quit on their own and that it's wonderful that they're trying to quit, but it's incredibly difficult because it is an addiction. So use that resource 1-800-QUIT-NOW and get the assistance because it's going to double the chance that you're going to be successful in quitting. All right. We know what motivated Sharon. What do you tell people who are, I'm okay, you know, I hardly ever cough, I feel all right? I think it can be challenging in this area of public health because we know that a lot of the diseases and the disabilities and the death occur later. But the data is certainly there, and we know from the Surgeon General's report from 1964, I mean, we've been looking at tobacco this long, and we know the devastation that it causes not only to the smoker but to their family. And I think Sharon's story is so powerful. You know, she is a former smoker, and this ad campaign is literally called Tips, Tips from Former Smokers, and she is so brave in sharing her story, and I hope that people will use the 1-800-QUIT-NOW line, and they will call and get assistance, because we really do want to assist people in quitting. Again, how can people find out the tips that are going to help them quit smoking? Please call 1-800-QUIT-NOW or go to the QuitLine's website, which is quitlinems.com. Make the decision today, right? Yes. Sharon is the CDC TIPS campaign spokesperson and a throat cancer survivor. Amy Winter is the director of the Mississippi Department of Health's Office of Tobacco Control. Thank you so much, both of you, for coming in. Thank you. For more information on the tobacco epidemic, visit cdc.gov slash tobacco.
Coming up, could a move by the State Board of Education solve the math teacher shortage? Why some are saying no way. That's after a Southern Remedy Health Minute. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Symptoms of a stroke are most commonly weakness in one side of your body and or inability to use your muscles, usually on one side of your hand. Can't move your hand, your hand goes dead, numb. Change in mental status, suddenly can't talk or can't speak well or start garbling your words. Visual changes is is another thing that can cause this. Those are the most common uh, uh, things to know about. And those can be transient. There's this thing called transient ischemic attacks where you have a mini stroke, but it goes away in an hour or so. People need to know that they need to go to the emergency room if their symptoms resolve because the biggest risk for having a stroke is for having had a stroke before. So that's a mini stroke. So people with transient ischemic attacks called TIAs are at very high risk for strokes. You know, the most important thing is not to have one in the first place. It is absolutely silly that if your blood pressure is over 130 over 80, you aren't on medicine to normalize that. We want people's blood pressure to be as close to 120 over 80, no matter what their previous blood pressure has been, as possible. Now, if your blood pressure is lower than that, you're a skinny person, that's great. Your risk is even lower. But if you're the average Mississippian, you need to be as close to that number as you can get. For more health tips and medical information, listen for Southern Remedy each weekday at 11, where the doctors are always in. For MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Information on how to make good health a family affair is available at bcbsms.com. Live healthy, live blue. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi educators are hopeful new regulations will make it easier to hire the math teachers they need. The state required students score at least 160 on the standardized Praxis II exam to become a middle or high school math teacher. The State Board of Education on Thursday voted to lower the mark to 152. The new cut score takes effect immediately and could mean that 89 students previously unable to earn licenses will now be awarded them. Roy Gill is superintendent of Harrison County School District. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood the state should do what's best for Mississippians. I've been in education for 32 years, and uh, my background, my BS degree was in mathematics. Being a pure math teacher and a math degree and looking at how the changes have occurred over the years, 
we have uh, teachers that are currently working that are phenomenal teachers, and they don't have that secondary 154 certification that is required with uh, the practice score of a 160. And, you know, in the state of Mississippi where mathematics is a critical shortage of teachers, you know, we have one of the highest standards around. If you look at our neighboring states and everything and see uh, the requirement that they have to get certified in math, Mississippi, we need to look at how can we align our score to be reflective of nearby states and therefore not shortchange our teachers so they cannot get the certification needed to teach high school mathematics. We don't need to sell our people short, and that's one of the the main reasons that I was in support of it. There is a shortage. Um, Do you think that with this now being approved and going into effect immediately, will that lessen the shortage? What do you think about that going forward? It will a little bit. You know, I mean, it's not going to be the answer to the Mississippi uh, shortage of teachers in mathematics, but it will help in somewhat because I know, uh, you know, I know several people that have scored, you know, 157, 158, you know, but didn't make that 160. That will be phenomenal teachers for high school. So that will allow them to get the certification required to to be an effective educator in Mississippi. And some may say that lessening um, the test scores will allow for people who might be less qualified to become teachers. Do you think that's true? When you look at the cut score of a 152 that they have to score now, and you look at the content of the assessment, and you look at what they have to be able to do, our high school kids will be well prepared to do whatever that needs to be to be uh, to be successful in whether it's college or engineering or whatever they choose, and and I, d- I don't believe that that would diminish the quality of an educator in high school. Roy Gills is superintendent of the Harrison County School District. Thank you so much for your time today. All right, thank you. Caitlin Bryant is a senior at Delta State University. She talks with our Ashley Norwood about taking the Praxis test multiple times and about the difficulty even understanding her score. I started taking the Praxis probably last summer, um, so almost a year now. I took it the math Praxis five times with the scores ranging from a 137 to a 154. All of my subscores were not very different, though. There's two sections within the math practice, and with those, um, I would get a 21 and a 12 and have a 1, you know, 50, and then I would get a 22 and a 9 and have a 154. So, like, I would have gotten less questions right, but have a higher score, and it was really discouraging. (laughs) So with you coming so close every time and then now uh, the new regulations being in place, uh, what's happening? So you're about to be able, are you about to be now eligible for the license? Tell me, what was that process like and what is it that you had to do? To um, even student teach, so um, to get my qualification to student teach and graduate, I had to pass the math practice 
Um, if you don't pass it, you don't get to student teach, which puts you a semester behind from graduating. I actually haven't, since they passed it, um, I actually have a meeting with my advisor tonight. I'm going to have a phone call with her about um, what the next step is and um, getting, you know, everything cleared so that I can student teach in the fall. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10 o'clock, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app, from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit MPB on